Welcome to the EPS podcast, a case study of Operation London Bridge. National government representatives and key event professionals reveal the huge amount of work that went into making the expansive Operation London Bridge, the funeral plan for Queen Elizabeth II, run smoothly and demonstrate to the world the expertise and professionalism of the UK events industry. everybody and welcome to the second panel of the event production show. We've got 10 panels in total running over two days. I'm particularly excited about this one because um, although obviously Operation London Bridge was a tremendously sad time, it was also a demonstration of uh, the huge ability, skills uh, um, of the live event industry to come together at a time um, and make an incredible uh, project happen in, in, a, in a hugely, well, in a very short period of time. Um, we've got um, a superb panel uh, of um, speakers here today who were very, very closely involved in the uh, operation. Um, I'll introduce everybody, but if you could just add a little bit of context about um, your involvement, really. So um, obviously it'd be easier for you to kind of give a clear indication of exactly uh, your responsibilities and um, um, and your roles uh, within Operation London Bridge. We'll start off um, on my left-hand side, Steve Reynolds, who is Ellis Events Event Director. If you can just talk through a little bit about what your role involved, please. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, so yeah, I'm Steve Reynolds. I'm a co-CEO of Ellis Events. We're an event management and production agency who deliver major events such as BST High Park, uh, All Points East, and uh, we also the local operator for Formula E held in this building. Uh, and we were the event management agency on behalf of the GLA uh, for Operation London Bridge, where I was the project director. Um, my team was led by Jenny Jones and Grace up there, uh, as well as over 40 others through the planning and 150 amazing people uh, on the delivery. Um, our main areas of responsibility were the overarching event management plan, uh, as well as the operational delivery, public safety and crowd management on the um, D5 and D10, the main ceremonial days. Okay, thank you very much, Steve. And uh, in the middle in front of me, we have Sophie Scowan, um, GLA uh, Major Ceremonials Manager. Can you just talk through a little bit about what you're involved what your role involved and your responsibilities, please. Yeah, no problem. So I am Sophie Skern, I'm Major Ceremonials Manager for the GLA. So essentially, I had a very small team of people that looked after the London governance. So that is all of the meetings that coordinate all of London's agencies in response to uh, Operation London Bridge, and all of that fed into the national government structures. We also then were responsible for the delivery of the ceremonial footprint and the screen sites, uh, of which then LS Events supported us as our event management company to deliver those. Great stuff. And we have um, Jeff Forks, who is Sunbelt uh, Rentals National Business Development Director. Um, Jeff, um, obviously, you were involved in supplying a lot of the infrastructure. If you can just talk us through what that exactly involved. Yeah, thanks, thanks Chris. Uh, yeah, my role was the commercial lead for Sunbelt, working with all of the other colleagues around the, uh, around the table. Uh, and our role was to supply all of the temporary infrastructure, rental equipment that was needed for such a, a large-scale event at very short notice. And obviously I was supported by a lot of operational colleagues, design colleagues, people on the ground, big logistics effort, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail. 
Thank you very much. Okay, and uh, on my immediate right, um, we have Debbie Neller from Arcadis. Again, if you can just give us a little bit of a background. Hello, um, so I'm Debbie, I'm from Arcadis. Um, we are actually contracted to the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, uh, DCMS. Um, we've got a, um, a management framework with them for undertaking anything ceremonial, which obviously included Operation London Bridge. Um, we were the event managers um, in conjunction with, with LS events for um, London and also for the parts of Windsor. Uh, where the, the event also took place. We also had a uh, team up in Edinburgh where we were contracted to the Scottish Government where we were responsible for the lying in state and also the infrastructure up there. Um, my role in London um, as Commission Director was to basically oversee the um, lying in state infrastructure and also the operation of it um, and also all of the infrastructure in relation to the media and the public address system and also the flags and the flag flying. Thank you, Debbie. And last but certainly not least, we've got Catherine Eaton, who's Westminster, Westminster City Council Special Projects. Thanks. So, yeah, Catherine from Westminster City Council. Obviously, the, a significant proportion of the event activity took place within the area of Westminster. As Special Projects Lead, my role was kind of twofold, partly um, chairing the city operations point, as Sophie mentioned, as part of that wider London governance structure, but also from a local authority perspective, making sure that our plans were in place to support the delivery of that event. So that involved over 30 different local authority departments and contractors uh, and hundreds of staff kind of pulling together their plans, looking at all aspects from supporting the delivery on the ground, which we'll go into a little bit more, but also more core local authority responsibilities like impact to education, schools, uh, bank holidays um, and finance aspects. So a kind of broad breadth across the council. Wow, it's quite a job. So just to give you a little bit of context, um, obviously some of you would have been involved for a short amount of time and very intensely and others would have been involved for, for a longer period of time. So this is certainly not a competition, but um, could you all just give me an indication of how long you've been involved in this project in some shape or form? So if we start with you, Debbie, and work round. Um, the work that I've actually done for DCMS was actually kind of spans back about 20 years. Um, that obviously included previous uh, funeral plans for, for royals as well. So Taybridge in 2002 and also um, the Dukes in 2000, uh, sorry, 2021. Um, as far as Operation London Bridge, it's probably about 18 years, but it was obviously really it's like a step change about five years ago where obviously the, the level of planning and the detail of planning um, was really quite significantly different. Sure. And you, Catherine? Uh, so across two different jobs for two different organisations, my kind of involvement probably spanned about 15 years. Um, but from the local authority perspective, certainly the last sort of five years. Okay. And Jeff? I feel like the baby of the group. I think it's, a <laughs> it's not a competition. Probably about 12 months. Um, part of that was on the back of um, when, when we were still in the height of COVID and coming out of COVID it, with getting the event season back up and running. I think there was a recognition of a need for the amount of equipment that would be needed for an event like this with no notice. So hence the reason we started to get involved about 12 months prior. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. And, and you, Sophie? Yeah, so Debbie alluded to that kind of step change in, in the planning. So I've been involved uh, for about five years now. Um, the GLA have uh, taken some responsibility from um, the Department of uh, Culture, Media and Sport on back in uh, 2018, uh, so about five years. Okay, and Steve? Uh, similar to Jeff, a very short time, just over 18 months. And uh, it was uh, 
developing a, a initially a COVID plan. Uh, and it was a huge challenge for us to digest all of the plans that had been going on uh, beforehand and then, and then try to rewrite the event management plan in line with the uh, current uh, planning assumptions um, from the Royal Household. Okay, thank you. Um, Sophie, so obviously you know, the, 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 you've been involved for five years, some have been involved for sort of 18 years, everyone knew this sad occasion would happen at some point, but in the, on the journey, I suppose, there was COVID, which shut everything down. So how did that impact the planning procedure and, and how was it kind of, how did it evolve post-COVID? Post yeah, so I can set a little bit of context for you, which uh, may help uh, people around the room to kind of understand the, the conversation. So essentially, the, the Cabinet Office are the lead government department for the planning of Operation London Bridge, um, and they work on behalf of the Royal Household, um, developing all of the national plans that are associated with this uh, occasion. Um, when it comes to London planning specifically, that is through the lead government department of DCMS, Department for Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and essentially, they were looking previously at a lot of the uh, different areas uh, that were involved. I think we also need to um, acknowledge here that there are a lot of other partners around the table that have responsibility. So, for example, the Palace of Westminster have the responsibility of the lying in state itself. Um, uh, Westminster Abbey have the actual service um, and the state funeral itself. So there are lots of other different partners around the table who at that point in time had their own plans um, in place. Um, but what, what we looked to do uh, five years ago was to bring that all together into one London event management plan. And that was when this initial step change started to, to, to shift in 2018. We looked at actually how can we better formulate um, a London governance process. And as Catherine spoke about earlier the chairing of the city operations group and having an operational uh, tactical and strategic um, set up for London which enabled us to really pull plans together to collaborate into one event management plan um, and to kind of challenge and, and assure our plans that we were in an appropriate place for delivery obviously throughout that process and the development of that step change we came across COVID um, and um, it, it we had to be quite um, resilient in the way in which we were planning and approaching our planning. Um, and there was a quite a clear direction of travel given to us by the Cabinet Office with regards to what their, requ their, their request was basically in response to the COVID legislation. Um, we had to put a few concepts on the table around what was actually achievable from an event perspective. Um, and then that was essentially when we brought um, LS Events on board to support us um, with developing those COVID-compliant COVID plans um, in line with the step changes of the legislation at, at the time. Okay, thank you. And, and Steve, what concerns were there post-pandemic about the fragility of the supply chain? I mean, obviously, you know, the industry was hit extremely hard um, by the pandemic and prices were rising and, and certain pieces of equipment weren't available. How difficult was that to handle? Um, it, was, it was extremely challenging and, and you know, I'll reiterate several times that this was a no-notice event and, and that has, you know, made, made everything unique. And uh, after the summer of 2021, when restrictions started to come back, we, we were doing other events and... Um, it was extremely challenging to get those events back up and running. The the supply chain and, and the staffing workforce were were on its knees really post post COVID, and and we had a really tough time. And um, up until then, delivery I think really had kind of been well best endeavours. Everybody will be able to pull together and do this. And this was when we we kind of flagged and said the, the supply chain is not the same now as it has been previously. And 
Um, we presented to um, GLA and DCMS and, and recommended some uh, strategies of pre-purchase and uh, retainership and, and really I think that's probably when, when you guys, uh, Jeff, came on board um, uh, to, to deliver you know, a lot of the stuff. Um, we also had a number of suppliers that we worked with, trusted suppliers, and we had to have first, second, third choice suppliers so that when we did pick the phone up, if some of them weren't, but you know, th thankfully, come the day, everybody, uh, everybody did come together. But there was a lot of work in the background around the supply chain management. Probably, probably best Jeff, uh, Jeff picks that up. Yeah, um, I wanted to bring you in in a minute, Jeff. I just wanted to ask um, you, Catherine, first of all. Obviously, Westminster has a history of um, dealing with state occasions. Um, but how did this one compare, bearing in mind not only the scale of the event, but also what was happening with the supply chain and everything else? So supply chain, I guess, impacted the local authority in a very different way in that we have our contractors to deliver our business as usual council services. And so they were the contractors that we, under our, our rules and regulations, would be using and were fully part of that. So we didn't experience the same challenges from the supply side. But in relation to the kind of comparison, I guess as the world is very different to when we've seen previous no notice events. We were really fortunate across the breadth of our council team that we have people who have experience of previous royal funerals, royal weddings, um, and certainly multiple jubilee celebrations as well. So I think because Westminster, along with the Royal Parks, obviously host a significant proportion of those events, there was an awful lot of knowledge and learning that was really beneficial um, to help in support our plans. But the scale, size, and the, the world media interest in this event was something that hadn't been experienced previously. And so I think, as Steve alluded to, that no notice, that kind of going from the, yes, we'll all do it, to how do we make sure and guarantee with no notice we can do it, was a significant amount of work to get everybody into that place, as Sophie said, to get that London plan together. And obviously, we also had the complication of it, it crossed over probably 10 to 15 London local authorities as well as part of that landscape. So that was very different to some of the other kind of ceremonial events that we do that are predominantly within Westminster and the Royal Parks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And obviously, the procurement process, Debbie, when did that begin and for companies to be selected um, what kind of guarantees did they have to kind of give it's obviously a, it was a difficult time for the industry still covering from the pandemic um, so Arcadas have a contract with DCMS and as part of that contract we had to put our supply chain um, in that tender process so our selection actually happened before the tender went in with DCMS so we won that tender collectively with our supply chain partners um, and as, as Steve alluded to, we obviously had tier one, tier two, tier three reserves and more reserves. Um, and I suppose our caters come from a slightly different background in that we are construction as well as events. Um, and therefore, if we really had to pull in other companies, we could have used our construction arm as well. Um, uh, but as I say, it, it really is everybody pulling together. Um, there was a lot of cross use of labor, et cetera, and, and sharing of, of things that 
just had to happen on, on an event that large. So again, the, the assurance really was, um, we, it was, it was best endeavours. We couldn't contract somebody to an event where we didn't know the date um, and we certainly even did, didn't even know the year. So um, whilst they were contracted, it was based on a, on a no notice event. Um, and thankfully, you know, it happened and everybody pulled together and gave 110% to get where we needed to be. Great stuff. And, and Jeff, obviously, you know, it was your uh, responsibility at Sunbelt to kind of deliver huge amounts of equipment, barriers and, and everything else. Um, how difficult was that? How much of a challenge <laughs> was that? And could you give us an idea of the scale of the kind of, you know, the equipment that was supplied? Yeah, I think as the, as the team have mentioned, you know, the fact that we were dealing with a no notice event that was probably going to be the largest event in living memory brought, you know, significant challenges and hence the reason why I think we all pulled together and, and worked on the plans where we could and in terms of quantities I mean I think we ended up delivering 25 miles or 38 kilometers for the younger members of the audience um, of fencing and barriers plus there was you know hundreds of tower lights there was generators there was battery storage units um, there was trackway there was you know the, the amount of equipment control rooms uh, even things like cabins for welfare and, and for ticketing. Um, the list went on and on and on. And, and the logistical coordination of all of that in terms of where equipment was stored, what could be pre-purchased and what could be pre-hired for a no-notice event. Like, like Debbie said, you know, we, we had no date. Um, so it was, it was organizing as much as you could and being as ready as you could with all of that equipment and, and being aligned from a, a planning point of view um, so that we were as ready as we could be and then literally had people mobilized, HGVs mobilized. I think we ended up with a thousand HGV movements um, in the duration of the event because of where equipment was stored and where equipment needed to be and obviously complying with all of the regulations in and around where, where we needed to get the kit to. So it was, a, it was an enormous logistical challenge. But again, I think, I think the collaboration around the room of everybody recognizing that you know, this was gonna be a unique one-off uh, and, and how we delivered it was, was absolutely critical. And, and, and the quarter, sorry to jump in, but the coordination of that was like amazing, you know, from, from the guys on the ground having to make uh, decisions and decide uh, you know, where stuff was going to go. But we had Sunbelt in the control room in Pelf with us, which is I, I've never worked with before in terms of doing it like that. But it was really crucial to us being able to speak directly around the priorities changing and the demands on you guys change because you have a you were contracted to, to us two guys but also to MPS and and as the plans changed different things were pulling you in different directions and we had to work together to make sure that everybody was getting what they needed but the priority was dealt with in the actual priority that was was required yeah, yeah. and the practicalities of that as Steve says with the PELF be all having a seat around that table as things were evolving and changing and then we had a control room in Hyde Park that then took that detail away. And then behind the scenes, we had a Microsoft Teams channel of everybody who was involved within Sunbelt, from our CEO right down to the guys who were literally coordinating things on the ground so that everybody could see real time as stuff was needed. And you know, we need to move that from there to there and it needs to be done in the next you know, 20 minutes. It was that type of, of reaction. Um, so it was a very intense you know, 36, 48 hours from, from the original notification. I imagine not too much sleep. <laughs> Very little. <laughs> um, Catherine, obviously the traffic management um, task must have been enormous. Can you just talk me through a little bit how that was handled and what agencies were involved in that? Yeah, so traffic management was obviously a key part to the entire planning that everyone was doing for this event. Um, I think part of the challenges that the guys have already alluded to were 
not just that this was a no-notice event, but I think it's also worth saying that for any other event that we've done like this in a ceremonial sense, that build would have taken three to four weeks in advance of the event, and then we would have done the event. So not only was it a no-notice event and events and activities were happening instantly, we were also having to build it simultaneously. So with that led to changes, um, and I think we'll, we'll come on to some of the planning and, and how that was developing, but obviously coming out of COVID and coming back to the new normality as we were, we were in a phase of plan change and development, taking on board learnings from lots of other events, learnings from the Jubilee, etc. And so it, it meant that during the live activation, we were working very hard on updating that traffic plan to actually meet the demands of the new requirements. So that involved uh, multiple organisations, so LS Events, Transport for London obviously being key, Westminster Council, along with Metropolitan Police Service, they were probably our, we, we kind of shrunk it down to a core group of those organisations. Uh, everybody was interested in it and wanted to, to know about it. Anyone who's ever tried to deliver an event in central London will know that the road network is really complicated in terms of ownership. So you have private ownership of roads such as in the uh, Royal Parks, You've got public highway owned and maintained by Westminster Council, but then you've got red routes operated by TfL. So you, you can't just assume because it's in one location that the same owner is going to do that. So it was a, a constant daily discussion of what plans had changed, what infrastructure layouts had changed, what needed to be adapted and developed to make sure that the traffic plan was fit for purpose in terms of the public safety, which I think across the entire scope of all agencies was everybody's priority, but also the most proportionate plan. Within that really small area of central London, we've got over 10,000 residents plus all of the businesses. Uh, I think often people see Whitehall and the surrounding area as a very ceremonial governmental area, but actually it's full of residents and, and general public like you and I and so it was trying to get that proportionate balance within that traffic plan of enabling them to all go about their daily business uh, people still had to go to work people were still doing all of their normal things while we were delivering infrastructure on every street corner um, and needing to close roads to support that also the Met's role in that was obviously key in terms of the safety and security piece um, there was the global attendance was significant and so the security work that had to go with that we had to take on board along with Transport for London um, and LS events to kind of look at okay you need to deliver a safety aspect how do then we in turn turn that into an operational plan from a road and traffic management perspective that can be delivered and is safe to do so so it was it was a big beast that every organization certainly played their part it was a big beast indeed I'm just wondering I mean the, the previous panel we were talking about um, how the pandemic has changed consumer habits and some people's reluctant some people are more reluctant to go to events than they were previously just generally speaking i don't know who might want to answer this but did, were you surprised by the attendance I mean, from my point of view, no. I think we'd always planned for large attendance. I guess we were luck we'd had the Jubilee celebrations that summer, which had very large attendance as well. So I think, although there were certainly different spikes in different types of events, I think we'd seen from that ceremonial type event that summer that I think we expected there to be large crowds, but others might have different different views. Yeah, I think the uh, Jubilee gave us an indication of what was coming, but I think you know. I think everybody expected that it would be incredibly busy. 
and, and you know and I think the crowds turned up as we expected so I think I think everybody was expecting what what actually happened I think there was a obviously a, a report commissioned around uh, in advance around um, crowd dynamics and what could potentially come and and there were some scary numbers in, in that in terms of what could arrive if people came around. So we, we had to plan for a worst case scenario of people coming very early, camping overnight and staying for days in terms of the welfare provision stuff we had to uh, apply for. It didn't really materialize like that, but what, what did happen was that you know tens of thousands of people were coming every day to pay their respects, to come and uh, stand and, and, and just experience in front of Buckingham Palace, um, to uh, go to the floral tributes. And, and that was a crowd management uh, operation in itself. And SES, you know, d did an amazing job of deploying stewards from, you know, what one, you know, in the afternoon when we found out, they had stewards on the ground, and then they had to ramp that up for the the tens of thousands of people that were were walking through the parks, whilst Jess trying to get his trucks in, while Debbie's trying to build Canada Gate, while we're trying to get. Uh, the infrastructure in and and so it, you know we we moved most of the building from our point of view to to overnight in the end because we we literally couldn't couldn't build in in certain areas of it. Thank you. And in terms of the numbers of people that were involved in it, Sophie, you we're talking about agencies, companies, personnel. Do you have a sort of rough figure for for what that is? The amount of people that 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 helped it go ahead. It's that's a really difficult. Uh, question to answer and I would never in my whole entire life want to put a figure uh, on the amount of people that are involved purely because um, we've obviously explained that there are a number of different agencies that were responsible for different elements of this plan. Each of those agencies had subcontractors who then either sub subcontracted and or then had staff or um, other people, you know, groups of stewards, volunteers on, on the ground. So I wouldn't want to put an overarching uh, figure on that one. But if you were to look, for example, at um, what we were responsible um, for delivering with regards to the ceremonial footprint and the, the screen sites, LS Events had uh, over 100 subcontractors. Um, obviously, they all then had um, staff on the ground as well. And I think one of the key ones to highlight is probably around the um, stewarding plan, actually. So as Steve said, the SCS group were responsible for developing our crowd management plan and also DCMS's crowd management plan for the Operation Feather Q as well. So they covered the stewarding plan for the whole entirety of uh, London. And then they had 70 subcontractors that worked underneath them. Um, and we deployed on the state funeral day uh, just over 12,000 stewards to the full entire footprint. So when you think that that's just stewards and then you start to overlay other infrastructure contractors, the media and um, other organisations that also have um, people that are on the ground so supporting this, I would never want to put a figure on it, but it is a very large amount of people. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, on the subject of media, Debbie, you were involved in overseeing that side of things. Um, in the preparation you were to the, for this panel, you were saying that you know they worked in a in a very collaboratively and, and, and hand in hand different organisations from around the world. But can you just talk us through a little bit about what that whole media side of things in, involved? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know. It was difficult for us because we didn't know the date, we didn't know the year, but actually the media were in the same position. So um, there was a lot of planning before. It was very collaborative planning, um, and it basically consisted of the um, home broadcasters, so um, the, sort of the mainstream BBC, Sky, ITN, and then you have a, um, a group of uh, foreign broadcast service, which actually has got affiliates all around the world. 
Um, and basically all of the planning was undertaken um, for, for many years and it also covered the, the, the events that, that Catherine's just mentioned. It's the same team that works for them that did the Jubilee only four months before. Um, and actually a lot of them had worked there a long time so they were actually involved in, in Prince William's wedding and Prince Harry's wedding. So there was a lot of, of relationships that are built up over those years. So it, it was very collaborative and it, it, was, it was all hands to the pump. Um, as far as the media are concerned, they, they had no notice, just like us, um, and they also had to mobilise their contractors for rigging, bringing in their sat trucks, um, and they were all over the country, depending what the events they were doing at the time. So in addition to all, all you know, our um, equipment and our vehicles and our people, you actually had the media, um, and I think on one day there was over 300 vehicles that came into London just from a media perspective, most of which were either going to Canada Gate to set up or actually coming in, dropping off, and and going into a return visit. So, um, you know, and all of that had to be in really by D4 um, because although the event was D5 and D10, 90% of what they had to do build wise was actually having to be in before D5, which meant that all the, the, the stands and the structures and also the, the, the village had to be built really before D3 um, to enable them to come in and, and, and do their piece as well. So um, it was, again, it was just a, a massive everybody helping everyone. Um, and, you know, they were in a village together um, and, and sharing facilities. So, yeah, I think the planning that we did before really came into its own when it actually happened. Jeff, I mean... The way that everyone came together and worked on this, I'm, I haven't heard of any stories of, of there not being a, a, a good gelling sort of collaboration between the different parties. I mean, it's quite an incredible, um, it's quite an incredible achievement for the industry to pull together and so successfully. What, what for you? I mean, everyone obviously has different experiences and certain things were more challenging than others. But for you, what was the what was the biggest hurdle? What was the most challenging aspect of this project? I think the most challenging aspect for us, Chris, was the logistics. I think um, when I mentioned earlier about the 1,000 HGV movements, it wasn't just the volume, but it was where things needed to be, right kit, right time. As, as Catherine said earlier, you know, the access issues, um, and as Steve said, you know, the timing of when you were trying to build stuff. So the sequencing was really important, and as well as that, we were also involved in supplying equipment in Windsor, in Cardiff, in Edinburgh, and in Belfast. So logistically within the business, we had that going on as well as what, what we've talked about earlier. So I think that logistics piece and also the, the collaboration between everyone and making sure that everybody knew what their role was, given once we got notification that it was kind of all hands to the pumps. And as Sophie says, you know, we had hundreds of employees involved across all of the groups um, and everyone recognising that, you know, we had one, one goal to achieve at the end. And as, as Debbie said, with those key dates, so I think logistics and, and that collaboration and, you know, people like the Met Police, as again, Catherine said, you know, another massive organisation who were heavily involved, DCMS, Foreign Office, we did some work with as well, as well as Cabinet Office. So the amount of stakeholders and amount of parties involved, you know, that, the, the way we collaborated to achieve the single goal was, um, was phenomenal. One of the key bits we were worried about was, was getting the stuff there and the transport. And Sunbelt did such an amazing job that we had to slow them down because... Literally, they brought this stuff down, and I think it was at the point where we were like, we, we, we blocked Bayswater Road down to Notting Hill Gate now, and we were like, right, can we just slow down while we build the boneyards to be able to tip stuff on? And, and we, you know, it was, it was that collaboration, but, you know, no one really knew how it was going to go, but you guys did a great job on that. I think one of the things that sticks in my mind that was amazing was after getting the notification call that we were being activated on the, on the Thursday evening, um, late, late evening, by 
quarter to eight, I think it was, when the presenters were stood in front of Windsor Castle um, on the TV. We'd already deployed barriers for, to start the crowd control, so you know, barriers were out within 45 minutes of getting notified. So that was the kind of you know speed of response. Um, and as Steve said, yeah, we, we had to be slowed down because we had trucks piling into London there. And what was the what was it like to work on? I know that it's obviously you know huge, huge job. So I imagine the stress levels were fairly high. But you know, what was it like to to work on? Because it must have been fairly exciting too. I mean. Was it, how does it, Steve, how does it compare to other projects that you've done, really? In terms of, obviously, the scale is enormous, but just personally, I mean, was it heartwarming in terms of, like, this is amazing, we're all coming together, it's fantastic, but you're coupling that with fairly high level of responsibility and stress. Yeah, so what was it like to work on? It's, it's difficult to compare it to anything else, really. Nothing, nothing has been like it. It's that no-notice element. And I'm not sure anything else really will be like it, you know, in terms of the, the, the scale of it. Uh, I mean... I was so proud of my team, everything they gave through the, the delivery, but also the planning. It was the most demanding thing I've ever worked on, the constant pressure that we were under that, uh, that I didn't realize until it was over had, had been released. And I'm sure every, everybody's the same in, in terms of that. The, the never knowing the date affected everything in your life. And we had uh, TAG permanently on standby when anyone went on holiday to fly them back. Um, where, you know, wherever we were, we had to constantly think, how, how many drinks am I having? Am I able, how am I going to get to London? If It's all that kind of thing that we'd lived with for 18 months. And you, I mean, Debbie, you'd lived there that for 20 years. So, um, But, um, you know, we, we had to discuss with our existing clients as well, like what would happen, all that kind of stuff as well. Which, you know. So then there was the assurance piece. So... There's a huge amount of insurance required upwards. And um, we were really close to Sophie and JP from the GLA, but we had to deliver presentations to DCMS, the cabinet office, the royal household to go, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be okay. This is what's going to happen. But that was constantly, you know, we had somebody full time pretty much working on like that assurance piece and, and collating that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, say so there's so many variations and, and the major impacts of the no notice were that. Delivery could have taken place at any time of the year. The weather could be different. The clashes with uh, concurrent events that we, you know, if, if London Marathon had been in there, we had a plan for what we would have done with that. Uh, and not knowing how, how many public would actually turn up was, um, was a big thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just multiple things happening all at the same time. Um, and, and, you know, we had so many detailed plans and we, you know, we, we were halfway through that planning cycle in terms of delivering this iteration of, of the plan. So there, there were some things that were really well specced, but there were other bits where it was like, th this is the plan, this is what we want it to look like, you're gonna have to work this bit out on the ground. And that's, you know, that's down to the, the experts and the professionals that we, we brought in and other agencies brought in to work together and collaboration. The Royal Parks, you know, you think it's, well, are they just Royal Parks? No, they've got amazing operators in there and Alan and Nikki and people like that, who, who and Mark Wazlowski, you know, who came together to find solutions uh, on the ground to, 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 to fix this. So, no, it was not like anything I've done before. <laughs> and this can be for any of you, really, but how, how different would it have been if, 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 the, if the timing had been a month, six weeks earlier, right in the middle of the festival season? Very different. I think it would have been it would have been extremely challenging if um, and and this is uh, what comes down to the work that uh, Jeff and Steve were actually doing at the at the time in which this uh, 
the demise occurred, um, actually we were at a point in time where we were looking at all of that infrastructure, looking at the impact of the summer season, look at the impact of key events like Notting Hill Carnival that would have had a significant impact on our policing response to the event and to our stewarding response to the event. Um, if, if we were extremely fortunate um, of the time in which uh, demise occurred because it enabled us to actually get out of that summer season. It enabled us to prepare some of our um, supply chain responses in a not as much detail as we would have liked, but we were in a much better place than what we were mid-summer. Um, yeah, if, it was a, a very fortunate time for us. Yeah, I think this, I mean, with respect, the stars aligned for it to happen at that time of the year. And like you say, right after summer season, right before, um, everyone goes out to the Middle East or wherever to, to do that kind of summer, sorry, winter season there. Um, I mean, it was, we, we were so lucky. I was, I was in Ascot on a site visit and um, Sophie's ring, I ringing. The, I was in the office. I was absolutely in the right place at the right time. There were a lot of things that aligned. We were in the office. We, we always have the news channel on some of the screens. Uh, broadcasters changed their ties over to black. And I went, hey, what's happening here? Something's happening. Uh, and then it was literally the news changed. And we were very fortunate that we were in the office and um, we could set up the control room. We were actually in the control room. So we had this, the control room set up um, literally as the moment the, the news broke. So there were a lot of things that um, were aligned in uh, the way in which we were able to kind of uh, progress. We were also very fortunate that um, the household agreed to give us an extra day in the schedule. Um, so normally we would have a 10-day schedule for, for this event and we'd always been planning to a 10-day schedule. Um, but because the um, the news broke so such late in the evening, they actually allowed us one additional day, which I think was our, our given grace really to move a lot of infrastructure into London and to prepare ourselves to get ready um, for the move from Scotland uh, down to London. I think also um, demise happening in Scotland also took the emphasis away from London quite a lot for those initial days. Obviously, it didn't help my colleagues that were actually working in Scotland, but uh, um, yeah, that, that also helped. And, and also, I think the weather was actually really, really kind. We had a couple of very, very wet nights, very wet days, I think around about D3, D4. But um, after that, it was, it was very kind. Um, so that helped immensely. Jeff. You wanted to bring something in. I was going to ask you for you what were the you know the the kind of proudest moments, if you like. But if you wanted to say something else, yeah. please do. Yeah, I was just going to add to what Sophie was saying. I think with the timing, you know, only a week, ten days before we had the August Bank Holiday weekend and a significant number of events in full flight. So the fact that the timing happened when it was definitely gave us gave us a, a, a fighting chance, given all the things we've we've said that we had to do. I think in terms of reflecting on the day itself, you know, again listening to what Sophie was saying you could see things unfolding on the, the afternoon of the Thursday and you know the, the mood was gradually getting more and more somber. And I remember when I got the notification, I was actually out walking my dogs and, uh, and I got the phone call. And I remember that first hour being quite emotional and kind of thinking, this is really sad, you know, this, this has now happened. And it was almost like an hour of, of kind of personal reflection before we then write, we've got to deliver this, you know, now, now's the time for, for everyone to shine. And, uh, and step up and, and do it. And, and you're absolutely right, you know, that first day that, that Sophie mentioned, the Thursday night, the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, the Monday, you know, incredibly intense, but incredibly collaborative. And I think, I think that's what I'm most proud of is the fact that everybody did pull together, everybody did work to that common goal. And, and as Steve says, you know, I don't think any of us will ever experience anything like it again. 
and Catherine, on, on that, you know, it, it was a one in a kind, one of a kind kind of event in, to, 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 to some degree, well, to a large degree. Um, what do you think were the kind of key benchmark moments or achievements that you feel that the, you, you kind of came away from the uh, event with, um, or that the industry can maybe learn from? I mean, there's probably so many. <laughs> the, I think, um, as everyone's reflected, I think it's, we'd all talked so long and so much about we won't have any notice that it still wasn't a shock when, you know, when it happened, you're still like, oh, we really don't have any notice. So for anyone who thinks we've all got the heads up and we all, you know, we genuinely watch the news and like everybody else, you know, I was on annual leave, got a phone call that afternoon. I was out and about kind of a, have you seen the news it's all looking a bit interesting there's lots of flights to Scotland I was like maybe I should go home and and be available and ready but so I think we talk in and it's it's a little bit corny but we talk in London a lot around partner working around we are a partnership London and certainly in central London deliver so many large-scale public events and activities that as much as there are event organizers, there are clients, there are people, it, it's, we generally work and try and work as a partnership. And sometimes that, you know, the degree of success of that can be up and down, I think. But for me, the biggest takeaway was if ever a partnership was gonna be tested, London Bridge was the thing to test it. And I'm not saying it was perfect, and I'm not saying it wasn't testing, and I'm not saying there weren't some significant challenges along the way, but I think for me, one of the really big takeaways, and there were so many, was the fact that everybody had, and I think Jeff alluded to this, like we all had one goal. And I think perhaps for no other event does everyone quite have quite the same aspiration and goal. Ultimately, we all wanted for the public to come and pay their respects in whatever way that was. And some of it, as Steve alluded to, was throughout the duration, not just at the funeral. And it was also a global media experience for probably the biggest audience across the world ever. So we all had that goal of wanting to achieve that single successful event and giving people the opportunity to do it. And I think the tolerance that people showed each other, the flexibility that was demonstrated by every organization from the top to the staff on the grounds, um, I think for me is the takeaway, not that you would want to put people under that pressure in a planned environment, because you wouldn't. But I think people's resilience of knowing the plan, knowing the goal, and having that core focus meant that people could work together and people came out at the end of it still as a partnership, still talking to each other, wanting to pick up on the minutiae and going, oh, we could do that a bit better. And if and it, it's not about, we're not, you know, it's not about another event like that. I don't think I'll ever see an event of that size and scale in my life. I think Steve alluded to, can I compare it to anything ever? No. And I don't want to. <laughs> I think that it was a one-off. But I think there were lots of little bits along the way that we can all take away from it, be it from every single contractor that worked on it. And, you know, and there's quite a lot in the audience here as well who I know have kind of gone, oh, by doing that at that event, we're now going to look at this way of working at another event. And I think although I'm quite fortunate with a lot of the events I work on that that partnership comes together to deliver them, I think it's looking for me as to how 
we can help others roll that out perhaps in other parts of the country or even just in London to actually go, it's not a them and us, it's not a event management company versus a, an X. It's how we can all actually help each other. And, and by doing it, we get a much better result because I think we're all better for the things we learn off each other than we were as we went into it with our own bits of the plan, if that makes yeah, sense. I, I, think, I think you... You're right about it. It's the, the key to really, it was the strong relationships that we built. And we, we were all very close in the planning, but when it got to, to delivery, we were all really close and, and we worked with each other, so we trusted each other. And that's a huge part that, that everyone you know, forgets on, on the event is trust people to say no, this isn't going to work, but trust that when they say, yeah, this is, this is the right thing to do. And I think you know that, that health situation, there was a lot of people in there but the, the core team were able to come together and say that this is, you know, this is the right way forward on this when dynamically things happened and, and changed. And as you said, you know, underpinned by the event management plan and the site plans, we'd all put those site plans together. You know, when we first came on, we were like, take everybody's plans, put them all together, uh, tip the Lego in the vase and see where the gaps were. And then that's, that gap analysis was what drove all the planning through. So by the time we got there, the, the gap list, which was quite big when we first started, was, was fairly small. But so really, I think the right people in the right room, which was for me was PELF, and then uh, the, you know, the trust in the relationships and the right levels of communication to allow people to deliver. Because then you're empowering the guys on the ground that they, that they can get on with what they need to and do their jobs. We're, we're running out of time, but obviously, you know, it was an amazing project. It, it, it showed, demonstrated to the world, really, the, um, the, the, the strength and, and ability of the live events industry to collectively come together to pull off something so complex in such a short period of time. Um, well, I mean, from the previous panel, we were talking about how the industry can kind of lobby government and try and push for added support. Do you think, Steve, would you think it's fair to say that this, this, this project demonstrated to well, internationally and to government just quite how important and how multi-skilled uh, the live event industry is? I mean, I, th I think we all knew that the UK events industry is the best in the world anyway before this, but I think this is a great demonstration of, uh, of, of, of excellence. And, you know, it's, it's so pleasing for me to hear everybody say that visually and the people who experienced on the ground, it looked amazing uh, to them. And, and you know, it, I think it's the most broadcast event ever in the history of the world or something. So it's definitely shone a light on on the uh, UK events industry. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it was it was a great thing to be part of. I feel very privileged to have worked on it and, I, and I'm so proud of my team and everybody else, you know, who, who delivered an exceptional event with no notice. Okay, um, well thank you all for, for listening and watching um, and uh, can you please show your appreciation for this uh, brilliant panel.